Lord, we come before you and we thank you that where two or three are gathered, that you are there. And so, Father, we praise you and we thank you for joining us here this morning. Pray that you would empower us, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Come upon us and speak, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read through it first, and then we'll go back and we'll kind of try and attempt to dissect this a couple verses at a time, and then after that we're going to have a time to respond and then the baptism. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are, which are not seen, excuse me. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so we kind of pick it up there in verse 13 in mid-thought a little bit. If you look at the verses before this, he's talking about suffering through trials and being delivered. Verse 13, he says, Paul writes, And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. He's quoting Psalm 116, verse 10. It is in fact the same psalm that Jesus sang the night before he was crucified. It's a psalm of God's deliverance and man's trial. But if you look at Psalm 116, verse 10, Paul doesn't complete the sentence. Psalm 116, verse 10 says, I believed and therefore I spoke. I am greatly distressed. So just as important as to what Paul does say is equally important to what he doesn't say. He does not say, I am greatly distressed. But if we look at the life of Paul in the ministry that was given him, we see that perhaps you could say, man, you have been greatly distressed. Shipwrecked, snake-bitten, arrested multiple times, flogged, beaten, in and out of prison, ultimately martyred for his faith. The trials that he endured, he was no rookie. And yet he says, our affliction is but for a moment. If you look down in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Essentially saying our reward exceeds our suffering in such a great way, even though we could be at the depths of despair, we cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel. And here's Paul saying, but our reward exceeds that in a way that you can't even measure. We are not greatly afflicted, and though we may feel that, and in a moment maybe you even say, no, man, I am greatly afflicted, compared to our reward in heaven, compared to the hope in heaven. Eternity 
with him. It is but for a moment, as our lives are but a vapor. It will pass, but the reward that we receive in heaven will never fade away. Our hope that we have in heaven doesn't go anywhere. It is incorruptible, and it is indescribable. Any word I can use would improperly describe heaven and the reward that we will receive. But that's fine. So we confess our faith, and then we die and go to heaven, and all that in between, it seems, could be just suffering. And knowing that we'll go to heaven, knowing our reward doesn't always feel that great to hear in the midst of a trial. Yes, we hold fast our confession, knowing what our reward is. We know our afflictions life, but yet it still hurts. They asked Mike Tyson, the boxer, about a fighter who said, I'm going to do you know, X, Y, and Z to Mike Tyson. I'm going to make him fight off his heels. I'm going to put him on the ropes. And Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until I hit him in the face. (laughs) Every one of you, when you confessed your faith, you had this plan, I'm going to do great things for the Lord. And then you got hit in the face. And then it hurt. Though we may have this eternal hope, it still hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't make it feel better. It still hurts, and to simply say, well, hey, look at Christ's sufferings. Look at what he endured. And look at our eternal hope. But it still hurts in the moment. And so, like everybody, our question is, why? Why do I endure these trials? But before you get to why, you have to understand who and the power that is in Christ to resurrect from the dead, not just at the end of our life, but the power for daily living. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. The power promised in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We're going to do a baptism today. We're going to do baptism by water. But at the end of this service, by the laying on of hands, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're going to run up and down the aisle. In fact, you're not allowed to. Please don't do that. And you're certainly not going to fall on the ground because that's not biblical. But you will receive power. And yet there's still pain there. The same power that resurrected from Christ from the dead is available to us to deliver us. God is more than capable. And yet we so often don't tap into it because once we get hit in the face, we often just take a seat because it hurt. Because we weren't ready for it because our pastor got up there and told us everything's going to be perfect and then it wasn't. And then even perhaps you failed And you're in the middle of this trial or this tribulation because of your own works. Is God that small that he can't deliver us? In fact, God exists outside of time, so praise him ahead of time. Praise him now, for you've already been delivered. But it might not be what you want. It might not be the way you like it. The same power that resurrected our Lord from the grave, he still had to die first. Do you understand that? He didn't get resurrected 
until he died. Your deliverance from this trial, from whatever is bothering you, from whatever is going on in your life, it might not work out the way you like it. Oh Lord, fix this situation for me. Make this easier for me when God wants to make you more like him and wants to reward you eternally for that. The idea is that Jesus in the garden there three times, three times asked if there's another way, if there's any other way that this could happen, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go to the cross. But he settled on not my will, but your will be done. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we know that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. And so he went to the cross. But even understand there at the cross, nobody killed or murdered Jesus. His love for you, specifically for you individually, he clung to that cross. Those nails only put holes in his hands. They didn't keep him in place. He could have at any moment given the word and sent legions of angels, but that's just not easy enough. He could have just given the word and this world melts away. But with us specifically, you in this room today and mine, he clung to the cross. And then he was resurrected from the dead. You see, our sufferings and our trials don't always end with, and then it all went away. And then everything was made perfect. We're never promised that until we see the Lord high and lifted up in heaven. But while we're here in the now, verse 15, for all these things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Everything Paul would endure, every trial he went through, was death working in him, but life working through him. And he tells the Corinthians, this is for you. It didn't feel good, and Paul didn't like it. We're not masochists who wound ourselves. If you do that, you need to see a doctor. It wasn't fun, but Paul understands the work that God has beforehand. Paul understands, in fact, the effect that a trial can have on our own personal life. We read in Acts the world's testimony about the early church. They said they turned our world upside down. And we say, amen, we want to turn the world upside down. But before that day happens, God will turn your world upside down. And there you'll see Christ. And when you've seen him and when you've received this power, your life will become in a way you will know the Lord indescribable. His resurrection power for daily living. Not just for the beginning and end of our walk, but for every moment of every single day, we serve the Lord. Paul says we do all this for your guys' sakes. We endure our trials. We endure our sufferings. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
every trial and every tribulation, Paul wrote to the Romans that God works all things out for good, for those who love him. James writes to the Hebrews who have been scattered abroad, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its work, that you may be perfect and complete. Not only are we delivered from our trials, commissioned to serve our Lord, but then as we walk through our trials, we become and we are made more like Christ. Ephesians tells us that we are His work, created in Christ Jesus, for good works prepared beforehand. It's grace upon grace. We are active participants in our faith. We meet with the Lord, and then we understand that it is all Him that does all things. That the best we could bring to Him was a bowl of filthy rags. Look that up in the Greek. It's disgusting. Our trials, they hurt. But we experience and we see His resurrecting power. And we have that available to us daily that we may do his work that he prepared for us beforehand. And then we see that as we suffer and as we struggle and as we beat against the wind that we have been made more like Christ. And so it's amen and amen. Romans 8, 28, people often quote it, God works all things out for good. But that's a relative term, and you can imply, you can make that to mean just about anything. Well, this happened to me, and so it'll be good. But good as the Christian knows, good as the Bible described it, only God is good. God works all things. In your life, you will be more like him. And since we have this eternal hope, and since we have this ministry, we cry out to him and we experience his saving grace and then his sustaining grace. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit and we are made more like him. We are his work. He is faithful to complete it. But Paul here is speaking directly of being persecuted for his faith. And maybe today you come in the trial that you're in, well, you brought it on yourself. Mark chapter 6 tells us the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. 5,000 people. And he has a couple meals and he divides the food and a great miracle is done. But the disciples, their heart was hardened. The disciples didn't marvel, they didn't glorify the Lord. They said, nah, that's just what he does. They saw God do this great work right in front of their own eyes and they just, nah, they missed it. And then, Mark 6 tells us, Jesus told them to get on the boat and he sent them out to sea. And while they were rowing, while they were out to sea, Jesus was off. He, they were never out of his sight. They were never away from his care but they would row and a, a mighty wind would prevail against them. And they struggled and they struggled and they struggled, but understand the one thing they never did, the one thing we don't ever do, they never quit. They didn't get out of the boat. 
They were in that trial because of the hardness of their own hearts. And what God was about to do is the same thing he wants to do in your life. They saw Jesus walking on water, and it was Jesus who calmed the storm. And then they marveled. It is in our deepest, darkest moments, even the ones we bring on ourselves, that you will see Christ revealed. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in a fiery furnace, who was walking with them? Look at Isaiah. His king, whom he found comfort in, perhaps his own relative, is dead now. And who does he see? The Lord high and lifted up. But Christ doesn't want you to simply see him and say, oh, that's cool, but respond in a confession of sins. And then after the confession of sins, he wants to commission you. He wants you to experience his power daily. We're not abandoned until the day we die and then raised up again, but every moment of every day to experience his power. To experience and walk in the works that he prepared beforehand. And so then we see our affliction is light. Verse 17, For our affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That all these things that we endure, that all these things that Paul suffered through, his eyes weren't here. I think it's funny that we have those not-of-this-world stickers and we put them on cars. I just find that odd. It's on a car, though. Get it tattooed on you. That'd be better. Don't worry, they're not a sin. Unless they are, then they are. Paul had an eternal perspective. To understand that we are rewarded for the work that he prepared beforehand. That before the foundation of this world, God had you specifically in mind and works prepared for you to walk in. And then in walking in those, you'll understand that it is only God working through you and you are still rewarded for that. So our affliction is light. And compared to the sufferings of Christ, who bore the sins of the world, I know my sins... And if those aren't enough, everybody else in this world, he knows what you did very well. He experienced them on the cross. The same shame, the same guilt, the same way that you've suffered, he knows exactly that feeling. And then he paid for it. But was raised again on the third day, wasn't he? You see, if he only died, it really wouldn't matter that much. But the fact that he was resurrected from the dead that he conquered death. No elected official in our country has that kind of authority or power. All they are equipped to do is temporarily alleviate the problems of a fallen world. Temporary. Or make them worse. But the God we serve, the King that we obey, he conquered death. He conquered death, and so though we are afflicted at times, and we may struggle, we say our affliction is light because we understand whom we serve, the grace that we have been given, and our eternal reward. And so essentially, Paul lays this out to say, it is worth it. There is no other God besides our God. And the fact that he has called us and commissioned us and then will reward us. 
we hold fast our confession. We fulfill the vow that we made, and it's God's work in us, the power of God for daily living. Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, understanding that it is his work. Where your treasures are is where your heart will be. And sometimes, with that not of this world sticker on our car, we get that twisted. We've gotten hit in the face, and so then the idea is, well, let's make our life the most comfortable it can be. It is Napa Valley. Why should we endure this? To what point, to what extent? Until God has called you and he's revealed himself to you. You always want to know why, but the answer is, Who? Christ Jesus. His power to resurrect you. The outcome we know is that we will become more like him. Paul's eternal perspective. If we only have the hope of this world, then there is no reason to endure anything in Christ's name. There is no point in it. If we don't have the hope of heaven, we're all but lost, and what are we doing here? But if we do have that hope that changes our life in every moment, and if Christ is coming back that reveals to us that, we believe, verse 13, and therefore we speak. The need to preach Christ. What we believe will eventually outcome our mouth. It will overflow. To check where you're at with the Lord, for a lot of you, just do an inventory of your Facebook page what you believe is reflected right there. What do you talk about the most? Paul says, we believe and therefore we speak. What is the, mo- what is the thing that just... Is it the Raiders? I don't blame you, I understand. <laughs> the guy they drafted in the first round, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to cheer for that or not. Just wait until he's acquitted. <laughs> it's the Raiders, dude. <laughs> judge me. (laughs) But what you believe, you speak. Paul didn't believe he was greatly afflicted, but he was afflicted. Paul didn't believe that it was all just suffering for the sake of suffering. He believed it would make him more like Christ. Paul believed that God prepared works before him beforehand, I'm sorry, for him to walk in. And so he spoke of it. What we believe impacts our speech because it shows our thought life and it reflects our heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart overflows your mouth. What do you so often speak of? And why are we so afraid to preach Christ? Because it will make us uncomfortable. Martin Luther King from Birmingham, Joe, wrote, letter, wrote a letter. And he says, and it's a great letter, you should read it. 
But he said, the greatest threat to the Negro's freedom isn't the KKK or some evil white lawyer, but it's simply people's desire to be comfortable, even if it means injustice. That so often we fight against the desire to just be comfortable in our daily life. Can I catch a break? Maybe this guy we elected, maybe he'll make us more comfortable, but this isn't our world. Maybe he'll do bigly things. I don't know about that. But what we believe is reflected in our speech, it impacts our daily life, and not just our life, but those around us. To put yourself in a position to see God's resurrecting power in your life through you. And at your deepest, darkest moment, when you're at that point where I just want to quit, I'm struggling, I cannot win, I'm rowing and I'm rowing and I'm stuck on this boat and I'm going nowhere, then you'll see the Lord walking. There you'll see him walking on water and he will reveal himself to you in a way that is fresh and new. And if you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, he won't carry you through your trials, but he'll teach you to walk right through them. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We are promised certain victory, so we go from victory to victory. Even through our trials, even through our tribulations. Only good can come of it. Don't get out of the boat. As long as the disciples were in the boat, everything was good to go. You get out of the boat and you take it into your own hands and surely the only thing that happens is drowning. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 6, please. I taught this on Wednesday night, but I like it so much in case you weren't here. We're going to do it again. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We'll start there. We'll get you out of here in about five or six minutes. Don't worry. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. One cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken, and by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
In the year that King Uzziah died, they were surrounded by their enemies. King Uzziah is generally regarded as a good king, a king who feared the Lord, and though he faltered, he offered them comfort and peace. They were prosperous financially, and their military was great. Many commentators speculate that this is Isaiah, the prophet's cousin. Uzziah is his cousin or his uncle. And Isaiah has just spent five chapters prophesying of the judgment coming to Israel. And then Uzziah dies. And things got real. And things got extremely uncomfortable. But in that moment, what was the next thing he saw was the Lord high and lifted up. And when we come in and we have an encounter with Christ, it produces always a confession of our sin. Because we understand it is revealed to us that we only bring filthy rags to the party. That is the best that we can do. And though he was a prophet, he would say, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. When God reveals himself to us, it's so often in our darkest moment, and the call is to confess your sins. And when you confess your sins, the next thing will be God wants to use you. Look at his response to Isaiah. Who will I send? And who will go for me? And when you go for him, understand that you might have trials and you might have tribulations, but it is God working in you to make you more like him so that you will rely on his power for daily living, the grace to save, and then the grace that sustains us. If you're here this morning and you're beating against the wind and you're tired, Ali, go ahead and come up. Understand that God wants to meet with you and he is, in fact, here right now. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst. And if you've been beating against the wind and beating against the wind, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Will some of the elders come forward? Dave and Dave... I'm David. Paul, if you can. I don't know if you can. Pastor Vince, his wife Patty, Miss Deborah. They're here and available and willing to pray with you. To lay hands on you that you will receive the power, the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. And if you don't know the Lord, and today maybe you heard a little bit about His mercy and His grace to save, do not wait another minute. I know for some of us, especially when I first came to church, I thought, oh, these are just a bunch of right-wing hypocrites. I don't want to be anything like them. Well, don't. We don't want you to be anything like us either. But are you willing to put your eternal hope on hold because you don't agree with somebody's political stance? How silly that would be. Come meet with the Lord and He will reveal Himself to you the confessions of sin, and your commissioning. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're faithful, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak, to reveal yourself to us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.